Hey, it's Jesse. Congratulations on making it through 2018. Maybe this is a good time to think about the stuff that helped you through the year, like maybe public radio. I mean, not to be self-serving, but um, I know that for me, I'm always grateful that I can reach for the dial or reach for my phone and call up programming that is reasonable and smart and entertaining and fundamentally decent. I really care about that. That's why I support my local public radio station. And I hope that you'll do the same thing. By giving now, at the end of the year, you are supporting all the stuff that your local public radio station does. Uh, Sure, news and information programming that you rely on, but also coverage of the arts and culture. And there I am obviously talking about this show. If you appreciate all the stuff that your member station does for you, now is the time to show them. It keeps the station rolling. It keeps shows like Bullseye rolling. And it is incredibly important to the bottom line at NPR, at your station, and here at our show. You can support your local station right now. It's very easy. Here's how. Go to donate.npr.org bullseye. That's donate.npr.org bullseye. And thanks. Let's get things started. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I know that every week you come to us for interviews with smart, fascinating people making great stuff. This week, it's something completely different. It's our annual end-of-the-year best stand-up comedy special. We're going to play you a little bit from some of our very favorite stand-ups from 2018. What does that mean? You'll hear from Louis Anderson, Emily Heller, Gina Yashere, Joe Firestone, Nori Davis, and a bunch more. We've got so many greats, I can't wait for you to hear them. You're going to love it. All of it coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up on our annual comedy special, Gina Yashere. She's a veteran stand-up. She's been working since 1996. She was a finalist on Last Comic Standing. She has a huge following in her home country of Britain. She lives in New York now, where she's also a regular on The Daily Show. She's their British correspondent. She dropped her third album this year. It's called Ticking Boxes. Here she's talking about her mom, who was born and raised in Nigeria. My mom was so ridiculously overprotective, just over the top. We weren't allowed to go on any school trips. No school trips. My mom wasn't having it. She, she was so... Uh, my mom used to actually keep a scrapbook of bus and train crashes. I'm not even making this up. She kept a scrapbook. She cut out all accidents that happened. And then when we tried to ask to go anywhere, she'd be like that... <clears throat> You see these children, you see these children? They are dead, dead, all of them dead. You know why they are dead? Because they wanted to go on a school trip. The mother said, no, don't go, but they said, no, I'm going, I'm going. And now they are all dead, dead, all of them dead, very dead, dead, so dead. We could go anywhere. I'd be like, mom, can I go to the park? You see these children? 
They wanted to go to the park, and now they are all dead, dead. We were let's go, nothing. Like I remember we had a school trip to the Tower of London. We lived in Tower Hamlets. We could see the Tower of London from our house. And my mum, and I'd be like, Mummy, look, it's there. You can, you can watch me walk in, it's, it's there. No. Like, she, she'd think up all these different scenarios, like, for why she couldn't let me go on these trips. Like, she'd be like, okay, then, what, what, okay, then, okay, let's talk about this, okay, wait. What if I let you go on this school trip, okay? I will let you, let's say I, I let you go on this school trip. I know you. You'll be at the back of the class with your friends talking, 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 talking. The teacher is at the front, and you are at the back of the class talking, 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 talking. And you'll be walking with your friends. Chatting, talking, 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 talking. And what happens if you're walking at the back of the class talking with your friends, talking, and there was an open manhole cover? And you didn't see it because you were talking at the back of the class with your friends, talking, talking, talking. And you fell into the manhole cover, just and fell in the hole. And the teacher didn't know why, because you were at the back of the class talking, talking with your friends. And you fell into a sewer. And you were raised by rats. And by the time I got you back, you are turned into a ninja turtle. I can't let that happen. Stay at home and do lovely, safe mother and daughter things. Okay? Okay, good. Now get out the ladder and fix the roof. <laughs> she was overprotective. She wanted the best for us, though. She did. And she came from Nigeria to have us so we could have a better life. And she picked out all our jobs. Like, my mom was pregnant with me. And someone went up to her and said, oh, what are you having? She was like, I'm having a doctor. <laughs> and that's how she was. She picked out all my subjects in school. Like, people were telling me from when I was a kid, you need to do drama or something. My mom was drama. Acting. No, no, you're not doing that. You're going to be a doctor. This is what's happening. I didn't, I didn't come here for you to be acting. You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> you can't pretend to be a doctor until you become a doctor. She picked up my A-levels and everything. Like, I got to pick French A-levels. She picked physics and biology. She picked my subjects, everything. And then I got to A-level biology, realized I couldn't stand the sight of blood. So I switched from biology to maths. So it's physics, maths. And she was like, so I became an engineer. So she's like, engineer, okay. I don't, that's good, engineer, I like it. And then she turns to my brother, you will be the doctor. So I did engineering for a few years. She liked that. She was happy with that. Engineering, good. And then obviously I decided to become a comedian. Not so impressed with that. She's like, comedy. Comedy. You see these children? You see these children? They're all dead. They're dead. Because their mothers came from Nigeria to give them a better life and they wanted to become com 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 comedy. What the hell is comedy? 
I came all the way from Nigeria so my daughter can become a clown. Gina Yashere. Catch her on The Daily Show, on which she is great. She's also performing live at SF Sketchfest in January. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up, Laura House. When Laura started in comedy, she was teaching seventh grade in Austin, Texas. She'd nap for a little bit after work, then hit the clubs and open mic nights. And the naps paid off. She was eventually able to quit her day job, move to L.A., and start writing for TV. She's also appeared on Comedy Central and HBO. This year, she released her debut stand-up album, Mouth Punch. She recorded it in Portland, Oregon. It's dark and sometimes confessional. She talks a lot about her personal life, about meditation, and, of course, about Rick James. Anyway, here's a bit from Laura House and her album, Mouth Punch. One more dirty thing, and then um, we'll go back to the decent part of the show. (laughs) I'm not radical like that. I've still raised Texan, where sex is very shameful and uh, should only ever apologize for it. Um... So years ago, I had to get a morning after pill, (laughs) and uh, I'm not bragging. You know what? I am. I'm bragging because it just doesn't come up that much anymore. But I want you to know I had game. I was game as you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So I had to get a morning after pill. So I go to (laughs) Planned Parenthood and I get a a morning. I know you want to applaud. Go ahead. Just the Portland thing that you... (laughs) I feel like there's just a knee-jerk, like, Planned Parenthood. Oh, I'm not even sure what we're talking about. But, oh, I heard the... Um, So I go to Planned Parenthood and uh, I get a morning after pill. And uh, quick test to get one. They're like, did you do something kind of up yes right this way it's a just an oral exam just a very easy test very easy test so i was like uh okay well, what do i owe you after i got it i said uh, they owed, uh we just got a grant don't worry about it and um i was like no no i i can pay you something what do i owe you and they said um you'll get us next time <laughs> <laughs> What? I'm like in for a round at Planned Parenthood. Next, next one's on me, you guys. Everybody. Hey, just put it on my tab. I don't want like an open tab at Planned Parenthood. I don't want to be like a regular. I don't want to be the norm of Planned Parenthood. People, I walk in. Hey, house, what's up? I don't... Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, but you don't want that place to be Planned Parenthood. (laughs) The usual, we were expecting you. Ah, Come on, man. (laughs) I'm going to mix sitcoms. Be like Fonzie. Hey, that's my seat. Amscray. Let me get... Put... (laughs) Beat it, Potsy. I don't know why Potsy was there. He's a boy. As if that was the only thing wrong with what I just said. Laura House, from her debut album Mouth Punch, you can stream and buy it now.
It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So you might have seen Adam Caton Holland, our next comic, on Conan or The Late Late Show with James Corden. He's got three stand-up albums now. His latest, Adam Caton Holland Performs His Signature Bits, is a compilation of stand-up segments performed at Brooklyn's Union Hall. Here, Adam tells a story about meeting a baseball-loving rock star. I'm a, uh, a giant Colorado Rockies fan because I'm a big fan of, of hopelessness and ineptitude. <laughs> but I have to live out in L.A. for about half the year because I work on a TV show called Those Who Can't, and I have to make it out there. Sure, sure. Some of you have flown Delta Airlines. That's how you watch it. Just book a Delta flight. You can see it. But as a result of that, I, uh, I don't get to watch my beloved Rockies in their home stadium, so I, I got to pretend to be interested in baseball otherwise. Uh, but the Rockies were playing the Dodgers. And I was like, oh, I'm going to this game. So I called my fancy Hollywood agent up. I was like, dude, can you please get me tickets to the Rockies Dodgers? He's like, bro, I'm on it. I was like, awesome. He goes, how's your family? How are you feeling creatively? I was like, no, 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 that bullshit, just tickets. <laughs> he calls me the next day. He's like, dude, good news. I got you tickets in the Lexus Dugout Club. You ever sat in the Lexus Dugout Club? And I was like, I, uh, I sat in the Kia right field holding cell one time. Is it, a, <laughs> is it at all similar to that? And he's like, no, it's not at all similar. Do yourself a favor, get there two hours early. You're going to love it. So I got there three hours early because I'm a huge baseball fan. And I'm glad I did because the Lexus Dugout Club is the greatest place on earth. I had to go through numerous checkpoints as I wound my way through Dodger Stadium. And then when I finally got to the last checkpoint, I walked into the Lexus Dugout Club. Here's what I was greeted with. Here's the image I saw upon first entering. Tommy Lasorda, Mr. Slimfast himself with an arm around a Dodgers fan, taking a picture with this fan while simultaneously scolding said fan. <laughs> He's just in this dude's ear being like, that's the problem with your whole damn generation. Nobody says please. You have any idea how many people come up to me every day wanting a picture and nobody says please, just like you didn't say please. Is it that hard? Is it that hard to say please? Is it that hard? Quick. And I just love that this dude somewhere in Los Angeles has a framed photo on his mantle of Mr. Dodger giving him the business. <laughs> I don't have time for Tommy Lasorda. There was too much to enjoy, so I pushed past him into the Lexus Dugout Club. Oh, my God, you guys. I was greeted by the most incredible all-you-can-eat buffet I've ever seen. It was like a cruise ship with no disgusting old people inside. <laughs> and not just baseball fare, sushi, tacos, anything you wanted, all for free. And I was overwhelmed. So I was like, dude, focus. Don't overthink it. It's a baseball game. You want a hot dog, go get one. <laughs> And then I spied in the back a giant grill. So I beelined through all the other types of food, and I went to the grill, and it was every type of hot dog imaginable. All of them foot long. I'm talking Polish sausage, kielbasas, red hots, bratwurst, anything you wanted, they had it. And I was just thinking to myself, all right, man, if I focus and remember to breathe, I could conceivably put down nine feet of national pastime meats before this day is through. And so I grabbed the one pair of tongs they had set out there, and I was, like, trying to make my decision when all of a sudden I, I just felt a presence to my right, and I looked over, and it was Jack White from the White Stripes <laughs> standing right next to me, waiting for his turn at the hot dog station. And he looked at me, and he just goes, all these hot dogs, you'd think they'd have more tongs. <laughs> If you could go back in time 
and find 21-year-old diehard White Stripes fan, Adam Caton Holland, and ask him, hey, Adam, if you ever theoretically meet Jack White, what is it you'd like to talk to him about? It would be hot dogs and hot dog tongs exclusively. Are you kidding me? The entire experience was so essential, so American. Two men standing around the grill talking meats at a baseball game. It reminded me of the stripped-down, blues-infused rock and roll that catapulted Jack White to fame. And I wanted to say something cool like that to him to let him know what a meaningful experience this was for me. But all I could muster in my in sort of starstruck moment, I, I just went, yeah, tongs. <laughs> and in that exact moment, I knew exactly what it was like to be Meg White. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to have in that exact moment just had an extra pair of tongs on my person. <laughs> Like, what if I had just woken up that morning and been like, you should just carry an extra pair of tongs with you today and done it. And Jack White said, all these hot tongs, do you think they'd have more tongs? And I had just produced an extra set of tongs and handed it to him and said something cool like, yeah, that's why I always bring an extra pair of tongs. <laughs> Jack White would have been like, yeah, all right, bud. I got one question for you. You know how to play guitar? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, I do, Jack White, but unfortunately, I only know how to play every single song on your hit album, White Blood Cells. <laughs> and you go, oh, well, that's not unfortunately at all. That's actually very fortunate. Because the Dodgers asked me to play a song here tonight, but I don't feel like playing guitar. I feel like playing drums, Dead Weather style. So my question for you, new best friend, <laughs> is are you ready to step up in front of this band? Do you think you have what it takes, I'd be like, hell yeah, Jack White, let's do this thing. Smash cut to the seventh inning. Me and Jack White, dead center field, ripping dead leaves in the dirty ground, and it's crushing it. Tommy Lasorda comes running out, overcome, being like, guys, take a picture with me. Guys, take a picture. We're like, Tommy, would it kill you to say please? Once in your life, Tommy Lasorda, how hard is it to say God please? But that's not what happened at all. I said, yeah, tongs. Jack White took the tongs out of my hand like I was a child. Expertly speared himself a bratwurst, popped it into a bun, and disappeared like an apparition. And the Rockies lost 13 to 2. The Rockies lost 13 to 2 to a divisional rival. Adam Caton Holland, everybody. Adam also wrote a book this year. It's called Tragedy Plus Time, a tragic comic memoir. It's a sad and very heartfelt book about losing his sister and dealing with his grief through comedy. You can also see Adam on the true TV show, Those Who Can't. He co-created and stars on the show. The third season drops in January. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up on the end of your comedy special, a funny Canadian, Sarah Hennessy. She's a member of Laugh Sabbath, the Toronto Comedy Collective. She created, wrote, and starred in the CBC show Terrific Women, too. This year, she released They Know Too Much. It's a follow-up to Trouble in Saradice, her 2015 debut. Great job on that title, by the way. Anyway, on stage, she is wacky, confident, a little existential. She does a lot of great weird voices, too. Here's a taste of Sarah Hennessy. Is my crush here tonight? <laughs> Ugh, imagine. <laughs> they could be. 
You know what I'm saying when I say crush, though, right? The best feeling in the world. <laughs> Don't you love when you have a crush? You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not thinking about death all the time. <laughs> Instead, I'm just thinking about outfits. <laughs> oh, love a crush. And the most mundane things become so much more exciting. Like grocery shopping, I'm pretty over grocery shopping. I'm always like, yeah, I got it, arugula. <laughs> but if I have a crush, I'm like, well, I'm just going to put on this special mix and work those aisles. Because you might run into them. I've seen enough television and movies to know that if you run into your crush at a grocery store, that means permanent love. <laughs> But if you run into a crush, you're like, oh my God, what are you doing here? You like go grocery shopping? You eat food too? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, cool. Oh my God, that's so cool. So do you like three meals a day or like a bunch of snacks? <laughs> like, what's your style? He's like, I don't know, I guess it depends on the day. I'm like, you're so funny. That's so you. That's what I like about you. I'm like holding a basket. I'm like, don't look in my basket. Don't look in it. And he tries to. I'm like, no, don't. Seriously, don't. Screw eyes. I think grocery baskets are the window to the soul. <laughs> but then he seeks a hard peek. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, what is that, a single potato? <laughs> And I'm like, yes. And then he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. Word to the wise, if you're grocery shopping, you have a potato in your basket, just circle back, grab a second potato. All right? If people ask questions, just claim that you have potato supper with friend, you know? You seem very popular, very cool. But I gotta say, something completely traumatic happened the last time I had a major crush. You know those ones where you're like, I can't believe it's happening. We're gonna spend the rest of our lives together. And, but then in a casual conversation, he was like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, my partner, you know? And then partner's more than regular stuff. <laughs> So then a lot of quick business had to happen in my head. I was like, don't look insane. So I was like, got it. And then I was like, she sounds fantastic. You know, you got to be calm, cool, and collected on the outside. But I got to tell you, it was a different story on the inside. On the inside, I was like, I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but, oh, that's her, the best you bring a green trench coat for you, both. A green trench coat? I can't compete with that. <laughs> what is she, a surgeon? <laughs> I'm in love with her now. 
Sarah Hennessy from her 2018 album, They Know Too Much. Give the rest of that album a listen. It is great. Even more of 2018's best stand-up comedy to come, folks. Don't go anywhere. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Squarespace. Destiny's calling. It says you need a new website. Easily create a website by yourself with the help of 24-7 award-winning customer support. Head to squarespace.com slash bullseye for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code bullseye to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. Planet Money tip number 17. Sometimes life is exactly like the movies. T-minus 30 seconds. They said T-minus. They said T-minus. Planet Money, a podcast about the economy and sometimes about rocket ships. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I there were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. True. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one or, weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Another year has come and gone. We're in the middle of a proud tradition here on the show, our end-of-year best of stand-up comedy special. Basically our most popular show every year, which I don't know what that says about my interviews, but, you know, we do what we can. We're playing a little bit from some of our very favorite comedy records released in 2018. Next up, Louis Anderson. Louis, of course, a genuine stand-up legend. He's appeared in Coming to America and in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he had a stint as host of The Family Feud. Louis has also won three consecutive Emmy Awards for his role in the FX show Baskets. He plays the main character's mom, Christine Baskets. He's also a veteran stand-up comic, of course. He's been in the biz for over 30 years, and as you're about to hear, he still destroys. His latest stand-up album is called Big Underwear. It came out this past April. You collect stuff, I'm a collector. A lot of people collect different things. Anybody collect anything? Yeah, what do you collect, uh? Thank you. I didn't hear it. I don't know what it was. But... In Boston, I went up to Boston. And uh, I went in this house, you know, because people invite, hey, they want celebrities over to their house for some reason. I wouldn't, but they want them over. You know, they no, I'm just being nice. They, whoever booked the show and then I go to the thing so I go to the people's house and then you just walk in you ever walk into a house that they've collected for too long huh? oh someone likes elephants someone loves an elephant <laughs> it's true man and you just stand there and you say to your friend, we got to get out of here. <laughs> got to go. Man. 
Then they say, I, I got 1,100 elephants. Yeah. And it's fabulous. You want to see the first one I ever collected? Do I? I stayed at one uh, house of some friends, and I didn't know they had dolls. They had a room full of dolls. I was staying in it. They showed me the They opened the door. You'll be in this room. <laughs> All the dolls had the same teeth as me. And just like me, when you lay them down, their eyes close. <laughs> Did you ever stay at someone's house and they are trying to say it's a bed that you're going to sleep on? It's a day bed. Well, it's night right now, though. <laughs> the cat sleeps on it. Not tonight. The cat doesn't sleep on it, no. I couldn't go to sleep. The dolls were all... I had to finally... I finally had to bring them all in the bed and lay them all down to get their eyes to close. <laughs> yeah. I used to collect stuff all the time then. Then, yeah, you see the storage bill. What the hell? What the hell do I have in there? You don't know what you have in there. And you don't want to go in. Okay, and then you agree. People are, are, you know, the people that love you, the people around you go, we're going to get rid of the storage stuff. <laughs> I guess. It was a good feeling to get rid of it all. But when I was going through it, I realized something about myself. I'm an underwear hoarder. opened uh, several boxes and I go underwear <laughs> and I you know took them out and you go geez are these mine <laughs> you don't realize how big your underwear because you're not thinking about them when you're putting them on but when you hold them like this <laughs> and it blocks the sun you <laughs> you say out loud are these mine <laughs> why did someone mention this <laughs> we have you just ignore it no one wants the underwear either. I tried to give it away. <laughs> Six big boxes of nice underwear. I don't know. I don't know. Over the decades, too. I had some 70s, 80s, <laughs> 90s. And then I skipped two years. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it was so funny. And nobody, I like, took him to Goodwill. We don't. We can't take them. <laughs> what? It's unsanitary. They're clean. We can't take them. And I'm thinking, what? Can't take them? Why don't you tell me before I hold them all in here? I could just leave them and go. Louis Anderson arrested today for leaving underwear. Good luck. 
Oh, he's a sicko. He's a sicko. He left six boxes of underwear. I felt bad because I know I was poor once. And so people, I didn't have, I think the reason I had so many underwear is because we only had a couple of underwear growing, you know, like I had two, three pair growing up when you're poor. And my mom would wash them every two or three days. And so I think when I would go shopping, I'd go, I better get some more underwear. Because <laughs> when you're a kid, you're traumatized by that kind of stuff. How are you? I hardly have any underwear. <laughs> Louis Anderson, folks. Anderson had a memoir earlier this year. It's called Hey Mom. In it, he talks about the wisdom he learned from his late mother and how that influenced his comedy. And if you want more from Anderson, I talked with him last year on Bullseye. You can check that out at MaximumFun.org. It's a beautiful interview. He talked about baskets, about his childhood, working in stand-up. Look out for the new season of Baskets on FX in 2019. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Earlier this summer, like we do every year, we put on our annual, I don't know what to call it, retreat, I guess, Max FunCon. We're out in the San Bernardino Mountains, and fans of all of our shows get together, and we have classes, and we roast marshmallows, and go on hikes, and that kind of thing. And at every Max FunCon, we do a stand-up comedy showcase in this amphitheater that is literally in the woods. It's open air, and people bring blankets, and the comics complain about how all they can see is bugs. That's a lot of fun. This year, we had some great comics perform, and our host was Kimberly Clark. She's a favorite with almost everybody here at Max Fun. You're about to see why. From Max Fun Con 2018, here's Kimberly Clark. There are only two species I've messed with with nature. That's birds and butterflies. That's it. I love a, a good butterfly, y'all. I love me some butterflies. I, I get real giddy when I see butterflies, and I know it. you probably don't think I would because I kind of have a B. Arthur vibe to me, but I really, really love butterflies. Like, when I see a butterfly, I instinctively want to skip, you know? It's like, oh, my God, you know? When did my walk turn into a frolic? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Mariah Carey video. This is crazy. I forget, too, butterflies are insects, but they don't get bug treatment, you know? Like, they don't sell a special formula of Raid that kills butterflies. They don't sell butterfly swatters in stores, you know? There's butterfly nets so you could catch a butterfly and release it, you know? You never hear anyone say, you better shut that door, you're going to let all the butterflies in. Like, I want the butterflies to come in. Please come in, butterflies. I feel like if you tried to swat at a butterfly, a butterfly would stop in midair and look at you and be like, who are you treating like a damn moth? I am a butterfly. You better recognize. I feel like, I feel like moths try to claim butterfly status, you know? Kind of like how black people, we talk about all the other ethnicities in our blood besides being black. Like, I feel like moths say things like, you know I'm part monarch on my granddaddy's side. <laughs> so what? My grandmama is yellowtail. That's moth talk, y'all. <laughs> That's going to be my new podcast, Moth Talk. <laughs> my name really is Kimberly Clark, by the way. Um, 
It may sound familiar to some of you because it is the name of a toilet paper manufacturer. Yes, I already know. You don't have to inform me. I'm very much aware. Somebody had the nerve to ask me if Kimberly Clark was my stage name. I I was like, why would I pick toilet paper for a stage name? You know, if I was scouting public restrooms for stage names, I would have went with... I would have went with Georgia Pacific, you know. <laughs> that has way more swag than Kimberly Clark. Or Fawcett, you know. It's one word to the point. It's dope. Your name is really important, guys, you know. It's like your name really affects how you make your way through this world. I met a young man in the mall named Tetris. I was like, Tetris, that limits your career options. You can only be a video game programmer or a pop locker with that name, you know? (laughs) You got to be careful picking stage names, too, you know? I feel like the stage name Master P is way more fitting for R&B singer R. Kelly. I know I was taking a chance with that joke, but it's a quality joke. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I, was, I took very special care um, with the names of my two kids. I'm the mother of two. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Two Cabbage Patch Dolls. Yes. They're living with their grandmama in Syracuse, New York. Lovely young ladies. Um, I don't know if you guys know about Cabbage Patch Doll culture, but you adopt Cabbage Patch Dolls. And they come named, okay? Um, one of my Cabbage Patch Dolls is black. The other one is white. The black one came with the name Franny Christina. I kept it that way. The white one, I didn't like her name. You know you had the option to change the name of your Cabbage Patch Doll, so I wrote into the company, and I changed the name of my white Cabbage Patch Doll to LaToya Jeanette. I kept the black one Franny, and I changed the white one to LaToya. That was very progressive of me, I thought. I Rachel Dolezal'd my doll. That's what I did. (laughs) Rachel, Rachel I just added a new item to my bucket list Before I die, I want Rachel Dolezal to braid my hair I know she'll do a hell of a job That's what she's doing for money She's braiding hair out of her house And let me tell you guys, that's the blackest thing you could do (laughs) To make money I love Rachel I love white people that can out-black me They're the best we used to call Wiggers back in the day. Remember that, Wiggers? Wiggers in the black community, they're like our mascot. You know, they don't actually play for the team, but they suit up, and they entertain us while we're on the sidelines. They're a great joy to have in the community. I think the very first Wiggers in history were Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. They were the blueprint. <laughs> I ran into a wigger well over the age of 60, and um, I looked at him. I said, you know what? This is a clear life decision he has made. This is not a phase he's going through. He is a wigger. He'll probably die a wigger. Mahalia Jackson, songs at his funeral and everything. (laughs) The real deal. Oh, gosh. I know. I ran into someone I hadn't seen in uh, two years. And she looked at me, and she was like, oh, my God, Kim, you look the same. You haven't changed at all. I was like, it's only been two years. How much wear and tear did you think I was going to go through 
in a two-year period, you know? When I saw this person two years ago, I wonder when I walked away, did she turn to her friends and say, in two years, that bitch is going to look like Yoda. <laughs> in two years, she's going to look like a Forever 21 dress after the first washing. Nothing but threads and rags. Threads and rags. That's all she's going to be in the end. I, I used to say, this joke is for the ladies. It's really just for me. <laughs> This one is for me. If you're irritated by the giggling girls in the dressing room next to yours in the Forever 21, you're too old to be in there. <laughs> get out of there with that hey kids, get off my lawn attitude. Take your ass on down to Chico's. <laughs> There's no foolishness going on in the Chico's dressing room. Nobody's laughing in there. There's prayer and contemplation going on in there. <laughs> Take your crop top in there and try it on in that library atmosphere. <laughs> I'm looking for some comfortable shoes that won't make me look like a biblical character. <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> I went shoe shopping in Santa Monica, man. I told the shoe person, I was like, hey, I'm looking for some comfortable shoes. This lady brought out the most hideous looking shoes. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I am not trying to be one of Tracy Chapman's backup dancers. <laughs> those are birth control shoes. I'll never get laid in those shoes. Someone will ask me, girl, are you on the pill? I'll be like, no, but I got on some Birkenstocks. No sperm can penetrate these. Kimberly Clark at MaxFunCon 2018. If you're thinking about going to 2019's MaxFunCon, you can find tickets online at MaxFunCon.com. They're almost sold out, so go check it out if you're into that. It's the Bullseye end-of-year stand-up special. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up, Emily Heller. She's the co-host of one of my favorite Max Fun podcasts, Baby Geniuses, alongside comics artist Lisa Hanawalt. She's also a perennial favorite of ours on the stand-up stage. She was featured on our stand-up special back in 2015 for her debut album, Good For Her. She's back. Her latest is even better. Here's some of Emily Heller's sophomore album, Pasta. I, uh, I met my boyfriend online. It's where I do all my shopping. <laughs> I have Amazon Prime, too, so it was like two days so fast. I'm kidding, of course. It took forever, and I met a million monsters. It was the worst. It was like trying to beat Super Mario. It was just like monster after monster, just like turtle, mushroom, lizard, just like over and over and over again until I eventually found the princess. I call him princess now. That's what we settled on. And the weirdest reaction I get is like when I introduce him to one of my friends and they find out that we met online, they're like, you met him online? He's so normal. You won the lottery. I'm always like, how dare you? I did online dating for years before I met my boyfriend. Winning the lottery takes one day, no skill. That analogy does not properly honor my resilience. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many men's opinions I had to listen to before I met him? How many conversations I had about Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> it was just one conversation, but I had it a hundred times. <laughs> and it ended the same way every time with me being like, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. 
And that's once you get to the date, there's all the pre-date stuff with like the messages and the profiles. When you are a straight woman online dating, you just have to read a bunch of personal essays by unaccomplished men. It's the worst book club you've ever joined. So no, I didn't win the lottery. That doesn't describe my experience. What happened was I ate at a restaurant that gave me food poisoning every day for years. And then one day I tried the pasta and it was fine. I was like, oh, I, uh, I guess this is what I'm ordering now. I might get bored of this eventually, but I cannot risk it on another menu item at this point in my life. And here's the thing. I escaped from online dating relatively unscathed, you know? Like, a lot of people had it worse. I was on there for seven years. I never got catfished. I never got assaulted. Only one guy ended up being a DJ. Like... (laughs) I know I had it pretty good, but still, I just had one too many guys tell me that they thought 9-11 was an inside job on the first date. (laughs) If you're wondering how many is too many, one. One is too many. That shouldn't happen. Not on a first date, right? Listen, I'm an open-minded person. I'm not saying that I know for a fact that 9-11 was definitely an outside job. I mean, it was, but for the sake of the argument. I'm just saying, if it's so important to you that I know how you feel about that right away, right away, maybe just put that in your OkCupid profile somewhere, right? Give me a running start. There's probably a better, more specific website for you to be on. Is there like a 9-11 was an inside job dot com backslash dating? Like, get those people off the other websites. They should at least have one of those multiple choice questions that some of them have, you know, like to weed through people, like what your religion is, do you want kids, all that. They should just ask you straight up when you join, like, how do you feel about 9-11? Right? And the options could be like, it was sad no comment, and it was an inside job. Let's talk about it right now. And then I could just eliminate those people right off the bat, go out with the people who said it was sad. And probably the no comment people too. Who am I kidding? That's intriguing. What's your deal? Why won't you just say 9-11 was sad? That's so mysterious. I want to know everything about you. Okay, I don't want you guys leaving here thinking I hate men. I want you leaving here knowing it for sure. Um... Emily Heller from her latest comedy album, Pasta. It's a lot of fun. Can't recommend it enough. Earlier this year, she was also nominated for an Emmy for her writing on HBO's Barry with Bill Hader. Uh, She had a very good time at the Emmys. Um, She went, she walked the red carpet and everything, did the photography, although I I don't know how many people recognized her. But she brought a little purse with her, a little handbag, which she made to look exactly like the logo for Getty Images, which is this uh, giant photograph licensing company that newspapers and blogs and stuff use to get pictures of whatever they need a picture of. And so 
it looked so much like the watermark that goes on Getty Images pictures that have not yet been licensed that it actually made angry uh, some of the non-Getty affiliated photographers who were there. And uh, the needless to say, the people from Getty Images were thrilled and uh, the pictures went all around the world. Totally worth it. Great job, Emily. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Nori Davis is a comic from New York, born and raised in Yonkers. He has appeared on MTV and Comedy Central. He just did a set on Conan earlier this year. His album is called Too Woke. It blew a lot of folks away here at Max Fun. Here's a little bit of it. I get too, like I'm woke on toxic masculinity. And I try to help my boys with that because I got homies like today. I'm a man. I'm a, don't be, you don't have, have to be a man. Just be a good person. Like I tell them, like, you have to cry. <laughs> like, fellas, you have to cry. If you don't, you're going to kill somebody. <laughs> Just cry. It's okay. I'm not saying you have to go in the mirror and just think about old thoughts. Like, just have a trigger. Have a trigger. Like, a movie, anything Pixar makes. Like, my trigger is, like, I just, like, I go on YouTube and I just watch Kendall Jenner give a Pepsi Coke to a police officer. And that makes me cry. Like, oh, my God. She solved her racism. <laughs> or the Dove commercial. <laughs> she was black. She used Dove. Now she's white. <laughs> These white people don't give a f- <laughs> And then I'm fine. Find the trigger. I have those boys, man, like... My homie, it was his birthday two weeks ago, and I got him a cake with candles in it, like, yo, happy birthday during my show. And he was such a man, he's like, you give me a cake, boy. I don't need no cake. What the hell you give me a cake, man? I look like a woman to you. <laughs> but I saw the twinkle in his eye. The twinkle in his eye was like, thank you so much. Y'all love me. How you print my face on the cake? I ain't never seen that before. My mother gave me that picture. What? Say, just cry. We love you. It's okay. I'm not bragging either. It took me a while to get to this point, man. What got me there is like my brother, my transgender brother, being raised with him. And I remember when, he's, he's a man now, but in junior high school, the high school girl. And we grew up with a very Christian, old school mom, like very strict. And she wanted me to be a doctor or a graphic designer. And I just want to talk <laughs> I just want to talk but she was focused on that shit. You're going to do this, go to school, come back home, blah, blah, blah. And then the time back then, you know, my brother now, but sister then, turned, like, came out gay and then transitioned. My mother put all her focus on him, like, boom. And I was like, word, I'm out. <laughs> I left. And I thank my transgender brother every day. He's the only reason why I'm on stage. I left to become a comedian. 
We got the devil off my neck. Woo, we got the devil off my neck. And I went back and massaged the relationship and everything's fine. My mom's fine. She accepts her child for who she, who, excuse me, for who he is. And everything's fine. But it taught me to be a better parent, too, because I have a daughter. She's five. And just as, like, you're supposed to give your child direction, not tell them where to go or what to do or what they need to be. So when my daughter, like, when she finds a sexuality, if she's gay, trans, I don't give a f- Like, you can believe you, you could be a wolf. Like, I got you. <laughs> like, what do you need, fur? <laughs> you eat red meat? You want me to rent a cabin and you can go walk around with the other wolves? Like, what, you, what will make you happy? And so all the times, like, being with my brother, he took me to a lot of LGBT parties, man. And they were so fun, and they were so great. And when I was in there, I was always trying to wonder, like, why heterosexual men don't have gay friends, right? Like, what is that? And when I was in that party, I was like, oh, this is why straight guys don't with gay people. This party's too lit. (laughs) This party's too lit. Any party you went to, they have parties more lit. Like, gay people party like they just got liberated yesterday. Like, what are we celebrating? Everything! Like, we're free. Look at the colors. Woo! It's like, yo, they have a good time. Music's bumping, they kissing, having sex, and in the morning they don't get pregnant. What? Straight hate that There's no plan B. They don't have to pull out. This is bull. They're not equal. Jealousy. Get over it. Nori Davis from his 2018 album Too Woke. You can stream it or buy it pretty much anywhere. Please do so. He's on the road all the time. You can find more about that on our website. Head to the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. We'll wrap up 2018's end-of-year comedy special in just a little bit. Still so much great comedy to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the app that teaches you to speak for yourself in a new language. Want to gift something that could last a lifetime? Give one of 24 languages this season and help your loved one thrive in real-world conversations. Built by experts, not crowdsourcing, Rosetta Stone goes beyond simple vocabulary with bite-sized lessons. Visit rosettastone.com NPR for their best offer of the year. Merry Mingling. Hey, gang, uh, this is Jesse, and I am joined by Bikram, the managing director of Maximum Fun. Hi, everyone. So we have some really amazing news to close out 2018. After this spring's pledge drive, we gave members the chance to buy enamel pins with the full profits of those sales going to the National Immigration Law Center. This is a tough time to be an immigrant in the United States. As individuals, as a company, and as a community, we wanted to help provide resources for immigrants in the face of these attacks. We're proud to live in a nation of immigrants, and many of us here at Max Fun are immigrants or the children of immigrants ourselves. Together, we raised over $100,000. NILC will put that money to good use, providing legal representation to immigrants and their families who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. We are so proud of our community for making such an immense difference in so many lives. And whether you bought pins or not, 
You can help the NILC advocate for immigrants right now. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org slash N-I-L-C. That's MaximumFun.org slash N-I-L-C. Our thanks go to all of you who made this possible. Great work, everybody. And happy holidays from all of us at MaxFun. Hey, gang, it's Jesse again. The end of the year is coming. Right now is a great time to support your local public radio station. Go to donate.npr.org slash bullseye to support your local station. Again, that's donate.npr.org slash bullseye. And thank you. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we are listening back to some of 2018's best stand-up comedy records. Next on the show, Joe Firestone. Joe released her debut album in August of this year. It's called The Hits. She's a writer on The Tonight Show, and you'll see her doing some pretty great sketch work alongside Jimmy Fallon there every now and then. She is also a regular on some bullseye faves, including The Chris Gethard Show and Adult Swim's Joe Para Talks With You, where she is the co-star and also a producer, one of my favorite television programs. Anyway, here is the very distinctive and very brilliant Joe Firestone. I mentioned my dad. Uh, we, we, uh, my brother and I, we really wanted allowance as a kid. Did anyone here get allowance as a kid? Yeah. yeah. What, did, what did you get? Three dollars a week. Your parents had to get once? <laughs> such a weird number. Did that go up or down? Or was... Really? That's, that's so weird. They were like, two dollars is too little, but... Four dollars is they're gonna be spoiled. <laughs> okay, three dollars. Anyone get something different? No. <laughs> Did anyone get something different than three dollars? Two dollars. I feel like I'm getting punked. <laughs> Did you really get two dollars? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's like your parents were like one dollars, not enough. <laughs> Did anyone get something else? Video game. <laughs> Are you having the same conversation? <laughs> Are you saying that you got a video game? Yes. Every week? Yes. <laughs> oh my... Okay, people are... <laughs> Brooklyn is outraged. <laughs> that does sound pretty sick. I, I mean, I'd love that. What kind of system? What gaming system? Uh, Nice. So are you, what, are you 25? Uh, 29. Nice. It's like the reverse of that joke I did before. <laughs> um, I got a, we, so we, my, my brother and I, we both really wanted allowance, and so we begged my dad for years. We were like, please give us allowance. All the other kids are getting allowance. And, uh, like, finally one day he was just like, okay, I'm giving you allowance. And we were like, what happened? This is amazing. All of our work is paid off. And what we didn't realize is that he had an elaborate plan to trap us. And um, so uh, what he did, what his plan entailed was he went to Kinko's with a bunch of $1 bills, real ones, and he photocopied them and put his face where George Washington's was supposed to be, which is, I'll remind you, a felony. And uh, then what he did, so then uh, the, this is not the worst part, but he did name the currency 
daddy dollars. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's got to be the worst name of any currency at any strip club. And uh, so these daddy dollars, the worst part about it was, like, the most up part was the economy he set up. The, the daddy dollar economy was so screwed. Uh, so basically, we got two daddy dollars a week if we were good. I mean, we weren't that good, but to get a candy bar in daddy dollar economy, to put a chocolate bar in our hands, our young hands, it cost 60 daddy dollars. <laughs> to rent a movie, 120 daddy dollars. And then to just choose where the family went out to dinner, just to say the words Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> It was going to cost us 750 daddy dollars. The system was so f- We were just, like, meant to stay home. That's, like, he, like, he thought he was so brilliant. And we, like, would just... So we were just... We would do anything for daddy dollars. And I know how that sounds. And... Well, we would do anything. We were always... Like, any time we could do, get daddy dollars, we'd take it. And we'd, like, shove it under our beds. We'd hoard them every Every time we got a chance, we'd have daddy dollars. And we never wanted to spend them because we wanted to do something with them. You know, after all... We didn't see American money for, like, three years. <laughs> and at this point, my brother was, like, driving. You know, like, that... <laughs> okay? And so, it won, I, finally, my brother, he confronts my dad. And he's like, Dad, this system is bullshit. And my dad was like... You're right. <laughs> like, he was just waiting for us to catch him. And, and then he abolished the program overnight. <laughs> Which is great in the long term, but in the short term, it's like, I had a wheelbarrow full of <laughs> worthless currency now. It's like East Germany all over again. Like, I got a babush gun being like, the Kaiser has made a mistake. <laughs> you take this for beans. <laughs> Now I'm so bad with money. It's crazy. I'm so bad with money. I spent $22 getting here, and I did not take a cab. (laughs) Joe Firestone from her debut album, The Hits. The record has music collaborations from Will Butler of the Arcade Fire. Find Joe on Twitter, at King Firestorm. You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We were talking a little bit earlier about Max FunCon, our annual three-day party in the forest. Another comic that performed at 2018's edition is our next comic on the Bullseye Best of 2018 special. His name is Dino Archie. Dino is from the Central Valley, Fresno, California. When he started in comedy, he would shuttle between L.A. and Vancouver, British Columbia. He has a couple great albums to his name so far. He has also appeared on Jimmy Kimmel. He's been touring a lot these days, and as you're about to hear, he still finds himself in Canada a lot. Here's a road story. I got pulled over a couple months ago for the first time in years, and it was just it was in Vancouver, and it was from the start. It was a whole, it was a kind of delightful experience. Like, I didn't know that it could be like that. Like, because first of all, I was actually doing some when I was pulled over, so it was like, it wasn't because of this, it was just good police work. I was like, I was like, oh, that's where the tax dollars are going. Good. Good. So I was texting and driving, but I was in traffic. I looked at the phone, lights going, whoop, whoop, 
right? And I do, I go into my training from growing up in California. The training is to not, you know, get shot. So I, <laughs> not, yeah, it's, yeah you, you've seen the news. And <laughs> so my first move is I roll down the window because they always mistake wallets for guns. So I just throw my wallet. <laughs> I want no misunderstandings. I can hug my wallet in the traffic. I, yeah, I li- uh, yeah, littering. So, so I'm sitting, and then I, I don't know, it's sudden movement. Everyone's on edge these days, so I just, like, act like I had a, had a stroke, and I just, that's it, and I post. And then, Cop comes over, it's a true story, knocks on the window and he goes, uh, hey man, uh, you mind pulling up to that side street so we could get out of traffic? Right? And I know a setup <laughs> when I hear one, but I didn't want to give him a reason, so I pull up. Side street, right? Back to position. Pow, boom, face <laughs> Comes back up to the window and he goes, uh, he goes, hey man, sorry to jam you up. <laughs> right? Right away, <laughs> me up. Like, yeah, because I, I just, like, he's apologizing. I just, I started confessing right away. I was like, oh, dude, you're just doing your job, man. I shouldn't have been texting. Why am I saying all this? <laughs> right? And, and he was like, uh, you got any ID? And I give him my driver's license. He goes, oh, California. <laughs> what brings you to town? I said, I'm a comedian. Uh, I have a show. And he goes, oh, yeah? What time? <laughs> right? And I said, uh, 8 o'clock. And he goes, oh, Wish, uh, wish I could make it, but, uh, but I, I got to work. And I was like, so, so I, I wish you could make it too. <laughs> Keeps the ID. Before he hands it back, he looks close. He goes, oh, man, it says here that you have hazel eyes. He goes, That's rare. Right, no, no dudes, no one, no, no dudes commented on my eyes like that. Yeah, it threw me off. Like I felt, I had all these emotions. Like, right, I had like butterflies a little bit. So I was nervous. I kind of nervously, you know, some words just fell out of my face. I didn't know what I was saying. I was like, well, that just depends on the way the sunlight. <laughs> what am I saying? Don't listen to me. Still no ticket. And I'm like, what, damn, what, what's going on? And he goes, uh, he goes, man, you seem like a uh, really cool dude, man. He goes, uh, I hate giving cool dudes tickets. It's like, uh, I hate uh, getting tickets from cool dudes. <laughs> are, are we flirting right like, now? But we weren't. We weren't. We were just two cool dudes shooting the shit, you know? And I go, hey, man, how much would this ticket be anyways? You know? Just let's cut to it. And he goes, that's when he got excited. <laughs> and you know, like, you, you guys know, like, you know, like, when a, when, a, when a white dad has a joke or a white older, like, huh?
right? He's dancing his shit. I'm like, what's he going to say? And he, and he just it's a bad joke. He's like, well, uh, that's 135 Canadian. But that's like eight bucks U.S. <laughs> Stupid joke. His delivery was great, though. He committed. <laughs> he was having fun. I was like, man, we're just having a good time now. I was like, I see, I see what you did there, man. Uh, still no ticket. And he goes, uh, man, you're making this really difficult. I was like, How, what are you talking about? He said, you're just being cool about it. I was like, what are people normally like? And he was like, people get pissed. I said, yeah, what, what, what do they do? He said, somebody spit at me the other day. I was like, what? And he said, someone tried to fight me. And I was like, who... Who would fight you? <laughs> You're an angel. Like, who? Right. He was like, look, all right, look, man. He chuckled. He's like, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Just don't text and, uh, and drive anymore, all right? And I said, man, you got it. Uh, thanks, uh, officer. And he was like, no, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> and then he just, he's walking back, and I'm like, this guy's gonna shoot me in the back of the head. Because I know it's set up, you know what I mean? So he goes back to his bike, he sits down, right? And he's, he's sitting on his, and I'm looking at him in the rear view, and he's sitting on his, on his bike, and he's like, I don't know what he's saying, but he's, I'm reading his, he's talking to himself, he's writing some notes down, and it looked like he was saying, oh man, what a cool dude. <laughs> and I'm in the car, and I'm like, man, what a cool dude. I was like, he didn't, didn't give me a ticket, didn't, didn't shoot me, that's nice. It's like, oh, man, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> then I started the car, and I did an illegal U-turn right in front of me. Because I was high as <laughs> I was very high. A lot of weed. Very high. Completely forgot he was there. Now I'm like, I'm going like two miles per hour, and I'm looking. I'm like, do I stop? Do I keep going? Do I say bye? We're kind of friends. <laughs> he saw this dilemma on my face, and I peeked over, and... He was so cool. He just looked at me and he whispered. He was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> Dino Archie from Max Fun Con 2018. Fun trivia fact. The night before this performance was recorded, the Max Fun podcast, The Beef and Dairy Network, named Dino Beef Queen for 2018. So congratulations on those two great honors being included in our special and being named Beef Queen. Up next on the Bullseye End of Your Comedy Special, Nato Green. Nato was a writer for Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. He is a stalwart of the San Francisco comedy scene. He's also a professional organizer when he isn't working as a comic. So it's not surprising that for Nato's latest stand-up record, he gets very political. Nato makes it clear he is a white guy. His special is called The Whiteness Album, and he tackles a lot of things head-on that might make some people uncomfortable. Things like gentrification and immigration, climate change, white supremacy, homelessness, Nazi punching. He also has a bit about sharing chore responsibilities with his spouse, if that's something that you would rather listen to jokes about. Nato is a native of San Francisco. Here's a little bit about what it's like to raise his daughters. In the city. My daughters go to public school here in the city. It's a diverse school. They have all kinds of friends. They have black friends. <laughs> and they came home one day and told me they wanted to paint their faces brown to show their black friend how much they like her. 
And I was like, no. <laughs> you can't do that. And they're like, well, why? And I said, because people will think you're making fun of her. And they're like, nah, we'll tell them. <laughs> and it turns out that it's impossible to explain to a child that positive blackface is not a thing <laughs> that exists in this world. So... Before I move on, I just I attract a particular kind of audience that wants to fact check me about some things. So, in case you're one of those people, I am aware of the Dutch tradition of black peat when I say that there's no such thing as positive blackface. I am also been made aware by an audience member of the condombe uh, dancers of Uruguay. Uh, <laughs> Someone felt it was very important to me to have a conversation about the Kondombe dances of Uruguay, which is a kind of African dance that was brought over and took root in Uruguay and is now practiced, among other things, by white people rubbing burnt cork on their face. And this person argued that this was an example of positive blackface. And after some research, I'd like to say no. <laughs> Also, so when I said my daughters have black friends, I heard people tense up a little bit. Because uh, you're not supposed to say it. Like, there's this cliche that if you say some of my best friends are black, you're about to say something racist. Uh, and there's some truth to that, but also, like, you should have different kinds of friends. That's the goal. Like, you, we should all live in a diverse community, and that's how you all really grow as a person is by having friends who are different from you. Like, I don't trust anybody who, like, says that they're not racist and then doesn't know anyone who's different from them. You know what I mean? Like, occasionally you meet these people, like, I'm very concerned about what's happening in the inner, inner cities. Uh, I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't look like me. That's why I moved to Marin, uh, <laughs> because the marina was too edgy for me. So... You know, 85% of white people have no black friends. So that means that, it, statistically speaking, there are more white people who believe in ghosts than have black friends. <laughs> so that guy who says some of my best friends are black and then says something racist, at least, like he's still making more of an effort than most white people. <laughs> and, then, and also, like, you need friends who are different from you to just go, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, there was one prominent white liberal in the Bay Area, I'm not going to tell you who it was, who said to me once, you know, the reason black people are better dancers is because they have an extra bone in their foot. And there was no one in their life to be like, what the f*** are you talking about? Where did I miss that unit in biology? Like, about the evolutionary advantages of the twerking bone. Like, when did that pass me by? And I brought my daughters to the Black Lives Matter march. Uh, that was great. They, they wore matching outfits. They made their own signs. They were super cute. And I'm totally willing to harness the power of the adorable white girl for justice. Two white twin girls marching down the street chanting, hands up, don't shoot, is cute as people. (laughs) Police were apologizing to them and giving them their guns. (laughs) My daughters were giving the guns to black people. (laughs) Stand your ground, ma'am. And, you know, I've been inspired by Black Lives Matter, and I'm obviously the official spokesperson of all white people. And so and I post a lot of stuff about it. And I don't know if you know this about comedians, but only 20% of the job of a comedian is this raining fire into the microphone that you're witnessing. And 80% of the job of a comedian is arguing with people on the Internet. And so I posted stuff about Black Lives Matter, and then I had to deal with the All Lives Matter people. 
who were like, you know, all lives matter people. Like, why you got to say black lives matter? It's all lives matter. You're excluding us. I already feel like my life does not matter. And all I had to hang on to is at least my life matters more than black people's lives. And you're taking that away from me. (laughs) All lives matter. And that is the argument of a crazy person. Because of course all lives matter. It's black lives matter, not black lives matter. So your life doesn't matter. We're just talking about black people now because that's how conversations work. You know what I mean? It's the kind of person where you're like, hey man, let me tell you what I had for lunch. No, let me tell you what I had for lunch. You're going to get a turn. We can both talk here. Like, that sweater looks very nice on you. Are you saying all other sweaters look bad on me? No. That's not how humans communicate. But it turns out that we're very thin-skinned as a people. The internet stopped talking about us for three words. And people freaked out that 1,000 years of world domination had come to an end. It makes me wonder how we conquered the world in the first place. Like, hey, we're here to kill you and take your shit. Go f*** yourself. Why would you say that to me? I'm a good person! Hashtag white fragility. Nato Green from his record The Whiteness Album, released earlier this year. He's got gigs in January in San Francisco, including SF Sketchfest. You can find more from Nato on Twitter at Nato Green. Nato spelled N A T O. You can also find his column in the San Francisco Examiner. One more comic for you on this week's Bullseye End of Year Stand Up Special. This one will not let you down. It's our great pal, Jen Kirkman. She has a couple of stand-up specials on Netflix that are worth binging. Earlier this year, her latest special was turned into a comedy album called Just Keep Living? Question mark? There isn't a lot of setup needed for this bit you're about to hear. Other than that, it involves the Holocaust and also Matthew McConaughey. But I have a tattoo. And... I'm only going to have one. And I think the whole tattoo thing is actually a lot like kids. Like, first of all, some people want one. Some people want uh, none. Some people want a bunch, like, and it's all over their arms, and it just looks like a lot of work, you know? But, um, <laughs> but you go to a place, you lay down, there's a lot of pain, and you're like, God, I hope I love it. It is permanent. So, <laughs> so I'm having a tattoo instead of a child. And... <laughs> So for me, I'm one of the one and doneer types. So you know that my tattoo has to be very meaningful, right? If, if you've ever thought about getting a tattoo, you, you think about it for a while, and you're like, I just don't want to get something dumb on, on me. I have to have something that means something. And I've been waiting my whole life to find something succinct that means something that I can put on my body permanently. And I thought of something a couple of years ago, and I was like, don't do it right away. Give it another year. And if you're still thinking about it, then do it. So that's what I did. And I was inspired by my friend who got a tattoo of her grandfather's name on her wrist and his birthday because he has an amazing story. So um, my, my friend's grandfather survived the Holocaust because he was a Nazi. But um, <laughs> no, that's okay. That, that's just a fun joke. That is not... I didn't set you guys up. There really is a story about my friend. But I just had to throw in because he was... 
not. My friend's grandfather really did survive the Holocaust. And my friend, um, just like her father and her father's father, and like many of us in this country, suffers from depression and anxiety. And the story he would tell was the survival story of his mind, of when he was uh, in the camps, he would say a prayer of gratitude to God and say, I don't, if this has to end this way, fine. But thank you for making me me and not one of the evil people. Thank you for putting love in my heart. And that is mind-blowing. Of course, you put that guy's name on your wrist. It's the most beautiful story I've ever heard. And I don't have anyone in my family like that. Um, I... I come from a family of uh, Catholic people from Boston, and we don't talk to God like that. Um, We don't like God. We are mad at God, and we assume he's mad at us. Jennifer, why would you have gratitude for a bad thing that happened? That means God's mad, mad at you. He's punishing you. Jennifer, why would you have gratitude for God being so mean to you? Maybe he'll think you like it there, and he'll keep you in there bothering God with all this gratitude unless something good happens. And nothing bad's ever happened in our family, but it could, and we're going to complain about it in advance, and we're going to stay vigilant. So no tattoos of anything our family said, please. So I had to go elsewhere. So I'll show you my my tattoo, uh, and then I'll explain. Thank you. It's on my ankle. It's on my ankle. It says JKL, which stands for JK Livin, which stands for Just Keep Livin, which is Matthew McConaughey's catchphrase. Thank you. This tattoo could not be less ironic at all. I mean it with all my heart. Just Keep Livin inspires me. And I'm not suicidal. soul trapped in a body. I didn't ask to be born and I'm afraid to die. And that's the I live in every day. And so I love what you get excited about. Yeah, that's right. We're trapped. Um, Now, before you judge, if you think I'm just some shallow Hollywood person, no, no, no. There's a story behind just keep living. Just like my friend had a story behind her tattoo of her grandfather. So I'm at the nail salon and I'm having a bad day. But I don't know why I'm having a bad day. I just don't feel good. Physically, I feel fine. Mentally, not into it. So I'm scrolling through People magazine and I see an article about Matthew McConaughey. Well, he had a tough day once too. Not sure why you're laughing. This is very serious. Um... He was filming Days and Confused, and he knew he was going to be a big star. But his father was dying, so he was like, something good and something bad is happening at the same time. Well, I guess I better just keep living. And then that became his catchphrase. And I see you're not as moved to silence by it as you were that Holocaust story. And that's fine. Different things for different people. The thing about this tattoo is it's in an inconvenient place. If my friend is having a bad day, she can remind herself, hey, it's not as bad as my grandfather had it by going like this. I have to be like... I will board this plane in a minute. I'm having a bad day and I need a reminder of... Go go ahead, go, go ahead. 
people say things to me about tattoos like, you're going to regret it when you're older. It looks dumb. I'm like, it looks dumb now. I'm all set. Thank you. Jen Kirkman from her latest comedy album, Just Keep Living. It ends in a question mark. Her latest gig is writer for the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning Amazon Prime series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Jen will be on tour for most of 2019. She kicks things off in January, and you'll be able to check her out pretty much everywhere. She's even got plans for some international tour stops. Go see Jen. She's hilarious. That's all for this week's Bullseye. Bullseye recorded at MaximumFun.org headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where we recently had an incident where a giant drone came right up to our window. It's like, hey, drone, don't be a creepo. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellow at MaximumFun.org is Shana Deloria. Special thanks to all of those folks and, in fact, much of the staff of MaximumFun.org who listen to comedy albums to pick out these bits for you. Uh, I and you owe them a great debt of gratitude. Good work, everybody. Our interstitial music comes from Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Thanks, as always, to Dan for sharing it. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use it. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, there are hundreds on our website. Just go to MaximumFun.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.